There'll be a, an exhortation for us tonight. Uh, Paul will get into the uh, theology pretty soon. We know that Colossians, in Colossians he's refuting the false teachers who have added something to Christ, and he's going to get into that soon. Uh, but again tonight, we're hearing his exhortation um, as God's people. Uh, some of you have heard me say before, I have a love-hate relationship with greeting cards. Um, you know, you can never find the perfect one, right? Um, almost all of them are bad. I can't believe people get paid money to write this stuff. It's, they're just awful. There are way too many words and just not enough heart and soul. You know, do you know, you know what I mean? And um, so I do have this love-hate relationship, but I love to give them particularly to Karen, but I've gotten into a habit of just writing my own. You know, I'll get a blank one and I'll just write it out because they're terrible. I, again, people get paid to write this stuff. I don't know how it works, but, um, but I will never forget. There was one time in my life when I found the perfect card. It said exactly what I wanted it to say. And I'll never forget the exhilaration of it. I was standing in Kansas City, Missouri, and I was in the Hallmark shop. Does, okay, does everybody know what a Hallmark shop is? This is, a, is this simply an American thing or is it everywhere? Okay, everybody knows this. All right, so Karen and I, we're in the midst of a long distance romance. Um, I was in seminary in Kansas City. She was in Little Rock. And I had sold everything and moved to Kansas City so I could go to seminary. I was 423 miles away from her, which is 681 kilometers. Six hours and 15 minute drive. It was, it was hard. It was hard. But there's something cool about a long distance romance. There really is. Uh, if you've never been involved in one, you might find it interesting. But I had left her behind. I loved her, but I left. She loved me, but she let me go. And our friends thought we were crazy. All of our friends and family thought we were nuts. They did not get what we were doing. Nobody understood it. It's like when you step outside the box, you know, the box that most of us live in. We live in a little box of conformity. We live like the world. Most of us live exactly like the world lives. And when you step outside of that box, um, people will still be nice to you. They'll say nice things to you, but they look at you like, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, and you, it's, there's this undertone. There's this undercurrent when, even when they speak to you. What's wrong with you? So I found this card. I'm in Kansas City. And I want to tell Karen, I know what we're doing is extremely weird. I know it. I get it. And I found the card. There was a, an abstract human form dancing on the front of the card. And you open it up, and the card says, those who hear not the music, does anybody know how it ends? Thank the dancers mad. Those who hear not the music, thank the dancers mad. And I thought, this is exactly what I want to say to Karen, right? We're hearing the music. We're hearing the music that many people who call themselves Christians never hear. 
They never hear God's symphony. They, they, they never take their eyes off the world long enough to hear it and be changed by it and be challenged by it. Yeah, everybody thought we were weird. We owned it. We were weird. We loved it. It was fun. I've told you a lot. <laughs> Going with Christ is more fun than anything else you'll ever do in your life. Some of you don't believe me yet. I hope that before very awful long, you will begin to understand that's true. Something happens, and you know this is true. I've said this to you before that, um, you know, a new Christian sometimes will tell me, Jim, you know, my family thinks I've lost it. My friends think I'm, I'm out there. My colleagues are fear for my sanity. And you, you know what I say to these people, right? I say, yay, because you are weird. What does God call his people eight times in the King James Version? It's not in every English translation, but in the King James, eight times. God says, my people are a peculiar people. If you're not peculiar, you're not a Christian, right? We are aliens and exiles. People naturally think you're odd. You are odd to them. You're the best kind of odd. You're godly. They don't know godly. They don't like godly. They don't get godly. You're godly. If people don't think you're weird, really, you should go home and talk about it with God. People should know that you're weird. There's no doubt in their mind you're weird. You're a peculiar people. What is God saying when he says you're peculiar? He's basically saying there's a number of things, but principally he's saying you're mine. You don't belong to the world anymore. You belong to me. You're mine. And it's like God says, I don't care who doesn't like it. You're mine. You're mine. You're mine forever. And it'll never change. So the point is, you know, embrace it, man. <laughs> you know, embrace it. Embrace all of it. Love it that you are his. Be ready to deviate from the ordinary and live outside the box, that, that dull, dreary, monotonous box that the whole world lives in. Jesus was out of the box, right? God in the flesh, that's out of the box. And he says, follow me. Follow me out of conformity. Follow me into, we talked about it, I think, at Young Adult Bible Study this last week. Follow me into life. So it's true. The true believer, we can't settle anymore. We won't settle anymore. We refuse to settle anymore. You know the, uh, the great way that C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, you know, uh, we, uh, we've put down the mud pies, right? We can't settle for mud pies anymore. We're going to go with God. Piper says it in an un unforgettable way. He says, we no longer chase bubbles that burst. You got the whole world chasing things. that It's just going to turn to ashes in their hands. You're going to make your million? Great. You don't get to take it with you. You're going to worship your family? You're going to worship your children? You're going to worship your career? You don't get to keep any of it. You're out of here. You're on your way to the hole in the ground. As John Piper talks about, you know, he says he was a pastor for 30 years at the same church. He buried hundreds of people. He says, man, if you stand by that hole in the ground enough times, you get the point. 
That's where you're going. You're going there soon. So how are you going to live in light of these truths? So yeah, we've met our creator. We've met our redeemer. <laughs> we can't settle anymore, man. Call me weird. I am weird. I own it. I love it. I belong to God. So in our text tonight, Colossians 9 is where we'll pick up. In essence, I believe this is what, as I read the text, verses 9 through 14, these are the thoughts that were occurring to me. No more compromises, Jim. No more half measures. No more hedging. No more settling. Paul calls us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The, the Message Bible paraphrases that, that verse there. Eugene Peterson calls us to live well for the master, to live well for the master. So this is what you can be examining your own life. Are you living well for the master as I read through the text and as we study together through the text? We saw it last week, verses 1 through 8. Paul is commending the Colossians. They're conspicuous Christians, right? They're living their faith. Remember what he says? I've heard about your faith. I've heard about your hope. I've heard about your love. I've heard about your fruit. Now, this is the highest compliment that can be paid to a Christian or a church, right? He says, I've heard about these things. And we, we, and we had the... The, the challenge for each one of us, the individual challenge, who's heard about your faith? Who's heard about your hope? Who's heard about your love? Who's heard about your fruit? You know, we understand everyone in our orbit should, un should know who we are, who we love, who we prize, and where we're pointing. What did we talk about last week? What, what do the Christians point at? There's a number of ways to answer that question, but last week we specifically said we're pointing at the Bema seat. What's the Bema seat? It's where we stand before Christ when he issues reward to the stewards, right? To the good stewards. We're pointing there because all of this is passing away. The Bible tells us all of this is passing away. We know it. And as I just said, we're out of here. We don't get to stay. We're not here to stay. We're here to leave. So Paul says, man, I've heard about your faith, your love, and your hope, and I've heard about your fruit. Remember verse 6, what did he say about their fruit? Their fruit was what? It was what? Increasing, right? This is a picture of a true believer. You not only have fruit, your fruit is increasing. Your fruit is increasing as you look at God and love God and grow in your sanctification. Okay, so we'll pick up here in verse 9. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. Paul says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why is Paul praying for them? It's a little bit unusual. He says, you're doing so well, I'm praying for you. Now, that's a little bit different than normal, right? It's usually in your average prayer meeting, we're praying for all the difficulties. We're not praying for those who are moving on in, in uh, faith, hope, love, and fruit, right? Paul's making the point that we should. You know why? You know what's going to happen to the one that's really advancing in their, in, their, in their sanctification, that's really going on with God, that's really walking with Christ? You know what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen if you've been a Christian very long. Resistance will come. Resistance will come. It will get hard. You will be critiqued. People will leave you. 
people will make fun of you. It just happens. You got to pray. This is what Paul is saying. You got to pray for the man or woman who's really growing in Christ because he will be attacked. He or she will be attacked. It will happen. We need to pray for them. Pray for the growth and maturity and the sanctification of our, of our brothers and sisters, right? We don't just need to pray for people who are sick. Yes, of course, we pray for people who are in difficult situations. Of course we do. But as John MacArthur says, famous American preacher, right? Why are we praying away the providences of God? Do we believe in a sovereign God or not? Is God in the, the difficulty? Of course he's in the difficulty. We talked about it, what, Wednesday night at Young Adult Bible Study? What does James say? Count it all joy, what? When you encounter, what? Various trials. Why? God's doing a new thing in your life. So let's not always be focused on praying it away. Let's, let's ask God what he, wants, what he wants to do in that, right? And how he wants to change me and grow me in that. Let's start praying biblically in a way that, you know, honors God. Yes, it's, it's, yes, you should pray for healing. I, when Karen was, had cancer, of course I was praying for her healing. But the whole time we were, we were praying with our hands open, oh Lord God, do your will and change us through this. Right? He will, beloved. Paul's making a great point. You pray for the brother or sister that's growing. You pray for them. And you ask for God's help in your growth, right? We don't always just pray for those in trial and difficulty and turmoil. We need to be praying for those who are growing because Satan is attacking, the world is attacking, sometimes families are attacking, and the flesh is attacking. You know, I love what John Piper says, famous American preacher. He says you got to live with a wartime mentality as a Christian. You almost need to have a wartime mentality because there is a spiritual war going on. Now, many people who profess to be Christians, not, they're, they're wholly unaware that there's a war going on. That tells you everything you need to know about their spiritual health. If they are unaware that there's a spiritual war going on, that tells you everything you need to know. They're probably just churchgoers, probably don't know much about walking with Christ. Paul says, Paul says that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wow, I could preach on that for about probably three months. All that he says in that one verse. But I looked at one word here, the, the Greek word translated filled. It means to be complete, to be complete in Christ. None of us arrive fully there, but that is our goal. That is our motivation. That is our, you know, planned destination to be complete in Christ. And we know we won't be completely complete until we see him, as John tells us in 1 John. But one of the words I saw in my word study here of this Greek word translated field was brimming. We're to be brimming with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, we're to be brimming with this. We're not to have just superficial knowledge of the facts. You know, I've been doing this a long time. You meet a lot of Christians, professed Christians. They have kind of a cursory knowledge of biblical facts. And that's as far as it goes. 
Paul's commending the Colossians because that's not how they live. That's not how they live. They are brimming with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So how does that come? You know what I'm going to say. How does that come? How do you get that? By spending hours on social media. Surely it will happen if I spend hours on social media, right? Or maybe watch some more television. Or, I don't know, surf the internet. I'm not saying you can't find good stuff on the internet. I find good stuff on the internet. How do we do the... How do we get to the place where we understand the knowledge of his will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You know what I'm going to say? Because we're students of the Bible. We're students of the word. We love the word. We study the word. We've talked about it the last three or four weeks. If you're not a student of the word, you will wander off. You'll wander off. You will. If you don't love God enough to be in his word, the truth will be revealed about you sooner or later. You may still be attending church, but sooner or later, you'll just wander off. There's no real love for him. No real relationship going on. No deep communion. No zeal to obey. This is what happens when we are biblically Ignorant. One preacher says, man, we are to be dominated by the knowledge of God, dominated by the knowledge of God. We've been talking about the last several weeks that our heaven view dominates our world view. Let me give you a verse from the Old Testament. Hosea 4, you guys will know this verse. This is a pervasive theme in the Bible about the knowledge of God. There is no knowledge of God in the land. Remember what the prophet said? And my people are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge, because they have rejected knowledge. What happens when people reject the, the revelation and knowledge of God? They are ultimately destroyed. It's a biblical truth. A couple of weeks in Colossians 2, we're going to see these words. The true understanding, wisdom, and knowledge of God are hidden in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you do not have the knowledge of God. And back to Hosea, you will ultimately be spiritually destroyed. So verse 9, ignorance is not bliss. You've heard it said, ignorance is bliss. It is not bliss. God says it's not bliss. God says, you must know about me. You must know about me. You must. And God has called you to be a people of knowledge. If you're not a people of knowledge, that's on you. <laughs> Do you know how many millions of people would have died to have this? How much is the word of God worth to you? How much is it worth to you? You know, how, how often we take it for granted. Oh, it's laying on the bookshelf. Oh, it's on my desk. Millions of people, maybe billions, have lived and died and never had one of these. You do. You don't think you're more accountable? You don't think you're more responsible? What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? He says, man, it'll be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. You know more than they did. I'm standing here. It'll be worse for you. Beloved, God's called you to be a people of knowledge. He's called us all to be 
a people of knowledge. You say, well, Jim, I'm not that smart. It's, this is not about intellect. It's not about intellect. If you can read, <laughs> you have all the skills you need <laughs> to interact with God's word and to be changed by it. You remember how important it was to Jesus. Remember what he said about knowing the will of God. You remember what he said? He said, my food is to do the will of my father. That's my food. That's how I live. That's what brings me joy. That, that's what keeps me going, Jesus says. And God says, man shall not live by bread alone, but, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God so many Christians seem to be confused about God's will for their life. What is it? <laughs> be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's God's will for your life. You got any questions about God's will for your life? I'm going to read it to you one more time. That you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What does that mean? That means I'm in the word and that means that I'm seeking to do the word. This is God's will for your life. To know the word and do the word. It's not any more complicated than that. And if there's some, you know, macro thing God has for you to do, you can rest assured he'll make it clear to you. So don't be you know, navel gazing and wringing your hands. I don't know what God's will for my life is. Yes, you do. You're here tonight and you know what it is. It's to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So are you a student of the word or not? It tells us everything. It tells us everything about our spiritual health, beloved. It simply does. Jesus says, this is my food to know the will of my Father. And it's like God, at least for us in this era, it's like it's a can't-miss proposition for us, right? For two reasons. It's like he's, he's orchestrated in such a way that you really can't fail at this unless you want to fail at this. He's given us the Bible in our language. And what else has he given us? There's one more thing he's given us that helps us understand the Bible. What is it? One more person, I should say, not think. The Spirit of God. So you have the third member of the Trinity indwelling you, right? Teaching you, being your counselor, as Jesus said in the Gospels when he promised that the Helper would come. John 14 and 16, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit would ab will abide in you and with you, and he will guide you into almost all the truth. Wait, no. He said, I'll guide you into all the truth. You want to know what God's will is for you? Be in the Word, and then do it. That's how simple it is. We always want to make it complex. I think we try to make it harder than it is because maybe we're a little afraid what God may call us to do. Maybe we're a little afraid to go with Jesus, actually. You know, it's like that thing I shared with you last week, you know, the chick that said she was 64% down with Jesus. You know, she got the D minus. She's a D minus Christian. <laughs> she didn't want to know any more about the word because it was too frightening. Let's look at verse 10. So, Paul says that you may walk. Here it comes. You may walk. He said you got to know it. And then he says, oh, you got to do it. Verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in 
all respects. Now, these are big verses, beloved. Do, do, I mean, these are comprehensive verses. That we might please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is huge. This is God's will for your life. These last two verses. We're to be brimming and packed and overflowing with the knowledge of God's will, that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that we may please Him in all respects, that we may bear fruit in every good work, that we may increase in the knowledge of God. It made me think of Psalm 1. You know, we're like that tree firmly planted by streams of water, yielding up its fruit, right? Powerful metaphor, a very powerful metaphor. So, He's calling us, obviously, to a lifestyle of worship. It's a lifestyle of knowing God, loving God, and doing what God has said to do. Christianity, at the end of the day, it's not complex. I know denominations, and I know they add a lot of garbage to it. But really, <laughs> you don't get much closer to, to the sum and substance of it than Colossians 1, 9, and 10. These are huge verses, huge verses for us. Jesus is simply calling us to follow him. You know what he says in 1 John 2, 6. The one who says that he, that he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Do you have that appetite? Do you have a taste to walk as Jesus walked? You know, that's a very simple question. You can know, you can know right here, right now. Where you are with Christ, do you have a taste for it? Do you have a, an appetite for it? Will you pri prioritize verse 9 and verse 10 of Colossians chapter 1? Will that become, you know, uh, a priority in your life? It's a big deal, beloved. Will you appropriate the knowledge and the grace that God has given to you? You know, I just read that text. It said we're, we should walk as Jesus walked. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I can't do it. I know you can't do it. You can't walk like he did in, in, a, a, in the sense of perfection. Of course you can't do it. None of us can do it. But that's what grace is for. And, and, and we receive his mercy and his forgiveness and his washing. And what do we do? We get up the next morning and we're off with God again. We're not going to wallow in guilt. We're not going to let Satan accuse us. His accusations are empty against the true believer. You know, I've met people who just wallow in guilt. I mean, something they did 10 years ago. And I'm just like saying, come on, man. Do you think Jesus' blood is enough or not? We're not called to wallow in guilt. We're called to appropriate His grace on a daily basis. I'm going to read uh, Philippians 3, 12 through 14 to you from the message paraphrase. So let me just read it to you. I like the way Eugene Peterson says this. I think we've talked about this with the YAs last week. <clears throat> this is a, a paraphrase of Paul's words. Paul says, I'm not saying that I have all of this together. Listen to the greatest Christian who ever lived. He says, I'm not saying I have it all together, that I have it made, but I am well on my way. Reaching out for Jesus. Do you see how proactive this is? Who has so wondrously reached out for me. Yeah, God's done it. God's, God's initiated. 
If you know God, it's because God is initiated. He continues, friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal. He's looking at the Bema seat, man. We talked about it last week. He's looking at the Bema seat where God is beckoning us onward to Christ. I'm off and running. I'm not turning back. You know, I love that metaphor in, in, in Philippians. Paul says, I'm hard pressed, man. I'd like, to go to, I'd like to go to heaven and be with God. I'm hard pressed. But then you get into uh, uh, chapter three and he says, he says, but I'm pressing on. So the hard pressed are pressing on, right? If you're really hard pressed, if you know Christ like that, you will be pressing on in your sanctification and your obedience in walking with the Lord. Paul says, I know I'm outside the box. I know I'm peculiar. I know people think I've lost it. I don't care. You know, Paul had a lot to lose, probably a whole lot more than you. He was at the top of the food chain. Some of you may be or one day be at the top of the food chain in your respective culture. Something I never had to worry about. Paul turned his back on a lot as far as the world's concerned. He was, he was at the top. He was a Pharisee. He was at the top of the culture. He was an elite. If they'd had, you know, celebrities back then, you would have seen him on television, right? If they'd had a, a show called The Rich and Famous, you would have seen Paul. He was rich and he was famous. He says it's dung. He says it's dung to me compared to the Lord Jesus. Yeah, those who hear not the music think the dancer's mad. They, all Paul's friends must have thought he'd lost his mind. <laughs> nope, he just fallen in love with God. Verse 11. God has strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. This is just powerful. This verse 11, it just continues to buttress this whole argument, right? Verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. We're strengthened by all the power of God according to his glorious might, attaining uh, of all steadfastness and patience. God says, I'm giving you all you need. You can be steadfast, you can be patient, you can persevere. The thing we've been talking about the last three or four weeks. We can persevere by the power of God. We will get the victory. We always get the victory. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm not talking about that. You'll get the real victory, the, vic the only victory that really matters, the spiritual victory. Everything else is dust and ashes. You'll get the spiritual victory, beloved. By his power and glorious might. I know I say this all the time, but it just strikes a chord with me. Maybe it's meaningless to you. I think Karen critiques me about it sometimes. She said, you say that too much. Well, I'm the preacher, so I get to say it when I want to say it, right? But he's the God who spoke two trillion galaxies into existence. Now, if that doesn't impress you, I don't know what to say. That impresses me effortlessly. You go read the, the, the creation account. It's one verse. It's part of one verse. And he created all the stars. Boom. 
Two trillion galaxies. You know why? So you wouldn't know how awesome he is. That's for you. The cosmos is for you. That you would have some small sense of how great your God is. And that you'd be freed up, right? To actually live out your faith and to walk with Jesus Christ. So, we have this awesome God who, we've been talking about this verse, Philippians 1.6. He has begun a good work in you. And he will perfect it until the day of Christ. This, this power, this glorious power of his, he will complete the good work. You know, our assurance is ultimately in God. We've talked a whole lot about the fact that we must cooperate with our, in our sanctification. But ultimately, this is about God and the power of God. What are we? We're Nike. What does Nike mean? Anybody remember? I know we've talked about this some. Nike. It's why, it's why Nike took the word, right? It's why Nike took the word. It's a Greek word. Nike. What does it mean? Overcomer. Overcomer. It's why they took the word, right? It's clever. It's very clever. We're Nike. We will get the victory. We will overcome. What is, how does John say it in 1 John? By our faith. We overcome the world by our faith. We will overcome. Because one thing is true. One thing is true. Because we are strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Yes, we'll overcome. Because he's in us and he's doing it. This is big stuff. Gives me goosebumps. I'm getting them right now. Do you want to see? I'm getting them right. I have them right now. I have goosebumps. Let's finish up. 12 through, 12 through 14. Paul says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has... Get this word. Okay, I got stuck on this word. Who has what? What does your text say? Who? Qualified. He's qualified you for what? He's qualified you for what? To share what? In the inheritance of God. Really? The inheritance of the saints of light. And you're humdrum about it? And it doesn't change the way you live on Monday? And you're bored when you go to church? Really? You're not hearing the words and you're not understanding the words. You know, I've said it a hundred times. There should be 10,000 people trying to crush into here, into this building to hear this. It's a commentary on how dead and dull the heart of man is. That he's not after this. This God who qualifies his people to receive his inheritance. You know, what is it, how does it say in Luke chapter 12? I'll have to look it up. It's not coming up into my mind. Here it is. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to what? Give you every good thing. It's all yours. It's all yours. You say, well, I, I feel like I don't have much right now. This is what your faith is about. You do have it. You don't see it, but you do have it. You can be fearless in the world, beloved. You can be because he is who he is. We are qualified 
qualified, he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness. What's that? He's, he's, he's grabbed you out of the mouth of hell. That's where you should go. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Man, these verses are huge. 9 through 14 are like huge. There's so much here. I mean, really, I could spend a year to preach on these, these verses here, these five verses or so. There's just so much here. What's the implicit exhortation here? You know, I always hear the backhanded implications of what's being said. To me, it's, the question is, how can you continue to conform to the world? If this is true, if this is part of God's word, if this is true, how can you can continue to live like the world? How can you continue to live inside the little box? How can you continue to chase bubbles that burst? How can you not live your born-again life huge for the glory of God? We are qualified. We know. Let me just, a little theology before we finish up. We know who we are. The Bible tells us who we are. We are rebellious, thankless, insolent, arrogant, ungodly, lovers of the world, indulging our flesh, indulging our lusts, ultimately haters of God, enemies of God by nature, children of wrath. That's who we are. But God's qualified us. God's pulled us out of all of that through the finished work of Jesus. What an amazing salvation. What an amazing salvation we have. Why is God in the manger in Bethlehem and why is he on the cross in Jerusalem? He's going to deliver his people out of darkness, verse 13. He's going to transfer us into the kingdom of God, verse 13. He's going to redeem his people from their sins. God says, the implication to, for me, do not... Be afraid to live the way you know I've called you to live. Okay, if you have average comprehension skills and you have some biblical knowledge, you know what he's calling you to. He's calling you to a radical life of faith. He's calling you to walk with him. He's calling you to do the word, to be peculiar, to deviate from the ordinary, and to get outside this tiresome box of conformity. So God says... It's the Romans 8, 29, 30 thing. Don't be afraid anymore. I've loved you. I've chosen you. I've come for you. I've redeemed you. I've justified you. I've indwelt you. I've adopted you. I have made you a co-heir with my son. Don't be afraid to live a peculiar life of faith. So the simple challenge for us in closing is to know who we are and who we belong to. And if you have a hard time remembering that, then you find some way to remind yourself every morning when you wake up who you are in Christ. If that doesn't inform who you are on a daily basis, you need to find a way where that is the forefront of your heart and mind on a daily basis. It's true. Those who hear not the music think the dancers are mad, but we don't care. We don't care. 
we've met our Creator, and we don't settle anymore, we won't settle anymore, and we can't settle anymore. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, what an amazing text. What an amazing word. All of these big and beautiful promises. All this work that you have accomplished in our behalf. We are qualified. Your word tells us that none of us were qualified, but now we are qualified to inherit the kingdom that you have set aside for us, that we would be co-heirs with your Son. Father, these are breathtaking truths. Thank you for the text. Thank you for the exhortation. Thank you for the promise. We love you, Father. We give all glory and honor to the name of Jesus, the incarnate God, the crucified God, the risen God, the reigning God, the returning God. We pray in His name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.